We want to thank God for his wonderful way of reminding us of how much he loves us. And we're very privileged to come back before you this morning to tell the other side, and we'll certainly call it the brighter side, of uh, this journey that the Lord has allowed us to go through over these past couple of years. And so as we prepare our hearts to do so, um, I think we can do it in here. I know it was a little bit more difficult in the tent because of all the dust, but if we can, let's kneel together and let's all pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege to come together as brothers and sisters. And we're very grateful for the purpose of testimonies and how it provides overcoming power. Lord, I pray that you might truly give Alexandra and I wisdom on how to express the other side of this story, of this journey that you have allowed us to go on to bring us to where we are right now. We're truly grateful for your amazing love. And now, Lord, we just ask for the ability to articulate it to our brothers and sisters to know that you don't just love us, but you love them just the same. Draw us close to your divine heart, we pray. Forgive us of our sins. And thank you for hearing our prayer, for we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the things that, um, as we were sharing last night of this journey that the Lord put us on, and all these different experiences that led us up to the fall of 2016, where our lives change forever. Our lives are literally not the same. They're just not the same. We have been impacted forever. But we thank God that though it started out very painful, it has a better ending. All of those experiences that I was going through and my wife was going through, I mean, I was the guy probably most physically, certainly most physically and psychologically going through this battle. But again, Alexandra, Jared, Kayla, Caleb, Jada, we all were suffering. No child likes to watch their father suffer. And I remember that all of these things happened prior to the knowledge that I needed heart surgery. So can you imagine going through anxiety, going through depression, questioning where is God, going through all of these issues, getting test after test, and that was probably the most annoying part. I, I got tested for everything. Scans, ultrasounds, and blood work, and all of these things, and everything kept coming back negative. But I knew what I was going through. And so finally, we set up an appointment with the cardiologist. And the whole reason we set up an appointment, this is how God was showing his hand was in this all along. One year before my seeing the cardiologist, we just casually were in Georgia. And we have a friend, her name is Linda, and she worked in the cardiology department. And she had a portable echocardiogram system in her house. We went by there, and we were all talking and everything, and somehow it just randomly came up, hey, let's take a look at your heart. Let's just see how you're doing. Now, keep in mind, I felt fantastic. And so I'm thinking, oh, you know, I'm fine. Linda checks out my wife's heart. She was great. 
she checks out my heart. She says, hey, you know what? Your heart looks really big on the left side. And she didn't understand it. She was like, you know, are you going through shortness of breath? You know, she starts asking the common questions. I said, no, I'm fine. She said, okay. She said, look, you look fine. Just keep an eye on it. If you ever see swelling in your ankles or you go through this, this, and this, just, you know, make sure you go to see the doctor. See a cardiologist once a year. That's the whole reason why we set it up in 2016. Were it not for that random experience that happened in 2015, I very well may not be alive today. So in 2016, I go see the cardiologist, and in my mind, I'm thinking, everything's going to be fine. You know, I'm still battling anxiety. I'm still battling, you know, this depression. I'm going through all this, all these issues, but, you know, I'm, I'm keeping it cool as best as I can before this cardiologist. And so they go ahead and they do the echo. And, you know, I'm looking at that lady trying to read her face, but these, these techs are really well-trained. You know, they just keep a straight face, even if you're borderline dying. I mean, they just keep a straight face. And so I couldn't tell anything, so I said, I, I guess I'm fine. She looked fine, so I guess I'm fine. <laughs> so I go see the cardiologist, and that's when he drops the bomb. He says, Mr. Lemon, I want you to look at my screen. You see this thing that looks like a broken hockey stick? He said, that is your mitral valve. And he said, I just don't understand this. He says, you're only 44 years old. Why? I don't understand why your valve looks like this. What, what have you gone through? Were you sick? Were you this? I said, I'm fine. I don't have any issues. And he said, did you ever have rheumatic fever? And I was like, yeah. I was like, when I was like eight or nine years old, I had rheumatic fever. And he said, ah, he said, that's it. And I'm glad I could make this point of clarification because I must say that I have heard the winds that when I got my surgery in December of 2016, you know, people did what people normally do. I expected it, but, you know, it did come back to me that people were saying, how could Brother Lemon get heart surgery. Isn't he a health reformer? And, you know, and those type of things came up, and they thought I was probably sneaking chicken on the side or <laughs> eating some bur burgers on the down low and all this other stuff. It, it had nothing to do with that. My lifestyle was on point, but the issue was I, I, I got hit when I was a child. I wasn't even double digits yet, and I certainly didn't know health reform. I was in the world and truly of the world, but I got hit. And so he said, you got to get open heart surgery. And Imagine you're going through anxiety. Imagine you're going through depression. Imagine you're hearing a voice that's telling you up to 500 or more times in a day, you're going to die, you're going to die, you're going to die. Every time you pass a graveyard, you can't even handle it because now it's like you always see your body being carried. I have never gone through anything like this in my life. I mean, I just couldn't even explain it. It was difficult to have a peace of mind. And so it is that now, after all of that, I'm told, we're going to have to open your chest and do heart surgery. And I asked him, I said, you mean to tell me you're going to split my chest open and you're going to open it? Yes, we're going to do that. Can I die from that? Yes, you could die. You can go to cardiac arrest right in the surgery. And I was just like, just when I thought it couldn't get worse, you know? So now we got to gear up for that. But the good news is this. There were some providences that God began to show us. Again, his hand was already in it because, remember, randomly in 2015, God was like, who do you think directed Linda to say to you she had an echo? In other words, God was saying, I was already showing you, Dwayne. I was preparing you for this. And so it is. I called my buddy Nate. And I said, Nate, listen, man, give me a call back. 
I found out I need heart surgery. I need to know if you know anybody who's a good heart surgeon. And so he calls me back, Dwayne, why are you talking about heart surgery? What's going on? And I told him, and he said, Dwayne, this must be Providence. I said, why that? He said, because my best friend happens to be the top mitral valve surgeon in all of California. And I said, are you serious? And he said, yeah. He says, I'll go ahead and get you on the phone with him. And within 48 hours, I was on the phone with Dr. Wong. Providence after providence, God was showing I got this. I'm putting you on a journey. But I could only understand that I was dying. The devil's voice, unfortunately, was louder than God's spirit. And so I kept thinking that God wanted to kill me. I literally got convinced that God was so bothered with me, so unhappy with me, that he just said, I just got to remove you. And get you out of the way. I was convinced it was God's voice. Do you know what it's like when you genuinely and sincerely surrender your heart to God? You seek to do the best to honor him. Yes, you do fail at times, many times. But you know, Lord, I've given myself to you. And then to feel that God himself has turned his back on you. And he has cast you off and closed out your probation. This is literally what's going on in my mind. And so as I'm going through this battle, I called somebody. I needed help. And I'm going to tell you right now, if any of you have a good, godly mentor in your life, you hold on to that person. It is a beautiful thing when you can have people in your life that have not only learned from the book, the word of God, not only learned from the book of nature, but they've also learned from the book of experience. And God put a man in my life that went through all three books. It was just a couple of years, or actually a year before my crisis, he had a crisis, and it was in relation to his heart. And his name was Dr. Thomas Jackson. When I say to you, when I call that man dad, I said, listen, It takes a lot for me to call a man dad. I said, I literally look at you as my father. My father's been sleeping in the grave for a few years. And I called him and I said, Dad, I need help. And I said, Dad, I need you to be there for me, man. I'm going through it and I don't understand how to deal with this. And he said, Dwayne, I will go through this with you. And we would talk almost every day. He was so sobering for me. It was like every time my mind was just going off and going into that dark world, every time I felt that cloud that was just over my head, every time I heard those voices that were saying, you're going to die, and all these other things. And that was this night. You remember when Alexandra told you last night that uh, she was downstairs with the children, she came upstairs and she saw me just crying and, and broken? That was because I was on the phone with Brother Jackson. And when I was on the phone with him, I said, Dad, I don't understand why God wants to kill me. I said, I don't know what I've done. And he said, Dwayne, who told you God's trying to kill you? And I said, Dad, I keep hearing these voices all the time. I said, he's telling me he's punished. He's obviously displeased with me. And I'm going into all this thing. And he said this. He said, Dwayne, God's not trying to kill you. I said, then what's he trying to do? And he said these words. 
He said, God is preparing you. And I said, preparing me? Preparing me for what? And he started to go through John 15. And he started to walk me through this abide in me and I in you. And he started to talk about the branch and when it doesn't bear fruit, God has to purge it. And he said, why does God purge the branch, Dwayne? And verse 2 says it. It says that it might bring forth more fruit. He said, Dwayne, God's purging you because he's preparing you to bear more fruit. God is not allowing this to happen to you to kill you. God is getting ready to do this because he's about to give you a deeper abundance of life. And he was the one that brought to my attention Steps to Christ 116, paragraph 2, where it says Satan is exultant when he can convince us that God means to do us harm by his providences. And I said, you mean to tell me that this has been the devil? I mean, you don't understand. My, I was convinced God was making it known to me. I am unhappy with you and I am going to take you out. And so when he said, that's not God, he said, that's the deceiver. That was like moving scales from my eyes. And I was like, you mean to tell me that all this time I thought God was destroying me. It was the devil trying to do this, and God was actually preparing me for life. He said, yes, and I burst into tears. I mean, uncontrollably, just crying, thinking, I can't believe how I was deceived. And my wife will tell you that when she came upstairs and she saw me crying, um, you'll remember that I fell asleep. Can you tell them what you saw on my face when I fell asleep? Do you remember what you told me, how I looked? Do you remember that? No, not really. You don't remember? <laughs> my wife, because night after night, you know, I'm going through anxiety. I would wake up in the middle of the night, and, and I'm nervous and going through these anxiety things, and I'd have to go to the bathroom because I don't want to wake up my wife. And I would just be in the bathroom just kind of crying and dealing with this battle, like, what's going on? And so... That night, after I was weeping and all these other things, she says she came into the room and saw me asleep. And the sleep was so sound, and she said, you had a look of peace all over your face. And it was like the first time that I realized that it was God doing good for me and not bad. Now, you would think, after that experience, that I just got it. There's something I've learned about Satan through this experience. He is relentless. When he sees you drawing closer to Christ, he will quadruple his efforts. And so it is that before you know it, I was good for a day or two. And then I went right back down again. This thing was a true roller coaster experience. Now, as we were getting close to the surgery date, and that was a big one because the voice kept telling me that I was going to die before the year was over. My cardiologist didn't make any sense, and I want to put this in there real quick. My cardiologist made no sense to me because you know what he told me? He said, all right, go home. And he said, if you see any swelling in your ankles and you're swelling in your wrists or if you start to go through shortness of breath or any of that, you know, give me a call and so on. I thank God that the Bible teaches us to think. 
the Bible teaches us to reason. And I'm a major reasoning person. Every time somebody shakes my hand, I always tell them, I said, listen, my hands are soft because the calluses are on my brain. Because I'm always thinking. And what I did was I went home and I thought about what the cardiologist said. I said, okay, so he said, ankle swollen, wrist and whatnot swollen, shortness of breath. And I said, wait a minute. I look it up, heart failure. So I start thinking, so you want me to wait until I start to go through heart failure? And then what you going to do? And then he said, and then we're going to do the surgery. And I said, okay, 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 so let's, let's, let's think about this for a second. How's my heart right now? Oh, your heart's strong. How's my health overall? Your health is great. I mean, literally, outside of these valves, the way uh, one, one of my dear brothers who's a cardiologist put it, he said, Dwayne, he said, your heart was like a Lamborghini that just had bad brakes. He just said, you just needed to get your brakes fixed. He said, everything else was working phenomenal. So think about it. I said, so you want me to wait until my heart gets worse, and then you're still going to do the surgery that you're going to do anyhow? Yes. I was like, thank you. So I got off the phone with him. And that's when I said, let's schedule the surgery now. Because if the surgery has to happen, and, I, and let me say this, because if this goes on audio verse, and I had somebody say this on Facebook, you know, oh, Brother Lemon, this herb, that herb. I checked every herb in existence. The problem is, is that there's not a lot that speaks specifically to valvular disease. In other words, heart disease is quite reversible just through lifestyle, diet change, exercise, etc. But when you have a part of the heart that's not working right, or it's gotten weak or brittle or this, that, and the other, there's not a lot out there that can actually fix that. So I checked. I contacted all of the people that I know cured everything from AIDS to cancers of all sorts, and no one had a program on how to deal with valvular disease. Maybe somebody in this room who's doing medical missionary work want to, want to think about it. And so it is that I agreed to do the surgery because there was no other option. I read Second Selected Messages, page 284. The prophet of God says that it is not a denial of faith when you have tried all other means to go forward with surgery. So I knew I was in God's will. That wasn't an issue for me. So now as we get ready to go through surgery, I told Dr. Wong, I said, listen, set up the earliest date you can. The earliest date was February 2017. And I was just like, man. And I said, can I go into atrial fibrillation? He said, yeah, you can. And if you go into AFib, it can produce blood clots, heart attack, or stroke can very easily happen. I said, what's the condition of my heart? He said, your left atrium is so big, 6.8 centimeters. So he was like, you could go into AFib at any time. And so I said, all right. He called me back. He said, we got an opening for December 19, 2016. Do you want it? I said, I'll take it. And as soon as I said, I'll take it, he said, all right, we're booking you. We're locking it in. I got off the phone. The voice came back. You will die before the year is over. I told you. So what appeared to be and what was a blessing, the devil was speaking to my mind saying, I told you, you will die before the year is over. So as we were getting ready and preparing for it, it was a great trial for my wife and I for our family. And my wife decided to drink a cup. I think you should share with them about that little cup. 
Um, I guess, like I told you yesterday, there's a lot of uh, things I internalize, so I'm just kind of cooperating with what's happening. Everything is going fast. Um, I think it was that night we were counseling with the family, and you went upstairs and I followed you, and you know you were talking to Dr. Wong, and we decided that we're just going to fly out to California, and we're going to pretty much uh, spend all the money in our account to do this. It was, it was. We knew we were not uh, financially able to do this surgery, but um, because we have no insurance in California, and you saw what the cardiologist suggested for even Dwayne, and we just felt like we, we were just going to step out on faith and do this. Let me jump in on that. Sure. The reason we ended up coming to California is, again, uh, friend Nate, this gentleman who does the surgeries really well, he had an ability to do something. When a 44-year-old man has a diseased mitral valve, the absolute recommendation is replace the valve, not repair. The best thing you can have done to your heart valve is have it repaired. That is the best thing you could have done, okay? But if it has to get replaced, you only have two options, an animal valve or a mechanical valve. The animal valve is either a pig or a cow. Seven-day Adventist, pig is out. <laughs> so I studied the cow valve. So as I studied the cow valve, and as I looked at the cow valve, the, the biggest problem is, is they don't last very long. Like you literally go on the surgical table in 2016, as early as 2021, you could be back on the surgical table again. Okay? Those valves just don't work well. Okay, they don't have good longevity. Mechanical valves can last a very long time, but you have to be on blood thinners for the rest of your life. Your intake of greens is going to be deeply compromised. Your whole life's going to be compromised, basically. You're going to constantly be at risk for strokes because if your blood gets too thinned out, you can have a stroke. So there was complications on both of these sides, but repairing the valve, there was like no complications. You don't have to be on blood thinners. It has the greatest, longest time period that you can last, et cetera. It was the best option. Where we were, the only thing that was an option was mechanical or bovine. This gentleman, Dr. Wang, I asked him, I said, can diseased mitral valves be repaired? He said, Dwayne, there's a probably about a good five to ten surgeons in the U.S. that I am aware of that knows how to repair very well diseased mitral valves. And I said to him, that's fantastic. Are you one of them? And he said, Yes. I said, that's why we're coming to you. So I'm giving you that background so you understand why did we make this trip to California. It was so that the best option could be exercised. Okay? So now we're in California, and you can go ahead. Right. And so we're going through the process of uh, prepping for the surgery. And mind you, like Dwayne said, you see how providentially we were led to Dr. Wong. I mean, he was like in charge of the medical team. It was his people. So, you know, we were like, December 19th, is, is that okay? It's close to the holidays. He was like, no, you know, they'll come if I say. So it was something he just was willing to do for us. So we know God was leading. And, um, you know, when we went to California and everything, and, you know, he's still not 
getting the idea that God, because you know it's him, it's different when it's somebody else. So when it's you and death is facing you in the face, it's, it really takes like you have to cultivate trust in God because you're not gonna develop it last minute and this is what happened. And even though it was evident God was leading, he just, it was hard for him to really embrace that. And so, um, you know, we're going through and little things happened, you know, and he's constantly letting me know, you know, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're not going to die. We're here. We're doing it. Um, you know, we're just, we're just going to go forward. And, you know, um, I guess hearing his voice and trying to, you know, encourage the children and trying to just kind of believe, like, Lord, you are in this, right? You know, he's not really going to die. Or like, you know, it was, it was very hard because as Satan was whispering in his mind, he was whispering in my mind, Dwayne, and it was very discouraging trying to be, you know, encouraging for him and just trying to believe, like, Lord, you're in it. So it was, it was a very dark time. So, but, you know, God would show, like, he would still give tokens. Like, mm-hmm. when we went to Mentone Church. Oh, wow. Oh, my word. That church family, they have no idea just how much of a blessing they were to us between the food preparation when we were in the hospital, the encouraging words. I mean, there were just people that would just say things to Dwayne that was a benefit for him later that they don't even know, you know, and I just really thank God for the Mentone Church that was, you know, they were very instrumental Amen. on helping uh, me with the transition, you know. So anyway, and helping us. So when we went to the prep, I, I want to say this part because I thought this was profound. You know, when you prep for surgery, they give you all these liquids to bathe in the night before. And she, we were sitting there, and she was like, okay, you're going to make sure you don't eat after this time or whatever. And, you know, she's going through the steps that we have to take to prep for the surgery. And I'm sitting with Dwayne, and I'm just listening, and she's talking. And then she's looking at him, and she was like, so, you know, you bathe with this. And when you wake up, before you go in that car, you bathe with the rest of the chemical or whatever. they." And she said, do not put lotion on. And you just put your clothes on, get in the car, and go to the ER, and we'll be waiting for you. And I'm just like, Lord, have mercy. I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe. And, you know, we're just, okay. And I don't know what it was. She went like this. I looked around her cubicle, and she was like, the Lord is in this. And then she just started encouraging us in the Lord. Hello. I was like, okay. That's when I was just like, you know, I guess she sensed, she was sensitive to, to Dwayne. And then, you know, she was like, you're, you're going to be okay. The Lord is going to, and this and that. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then so we come around. She was like, you'll be all right. And, you know, and then she gets up out of her seat. She comes around to meet us. She grabs my husband's face. And she just started, um, I don't know, did she? Kiss your, your she, cheek she, or something. She, um, <laughs> this was an older lady. It's an older lady, but still. <laughs> and I just want to make some points clear. <laughs> and but I didn't mind because, you know, I, I, I mean, you can go ahead and finish your point. Yeah. It's just, I mean, you know, but generally, but it's like I just knew it was God moving this woman 
to, to, to be an, um, a blessing to us. And it was huge. I she, mean, she came out mm -hmm. after she gave us that little encouragement. I don't know what it was that she saw. I don't know how sad I was looking or what have you, because I'm just in shock. Like, I can't believe I'm going through this. I can't believe tomorrow. Tomorrow could actually be the day that I die. You know, I'm just kind of going through all of that. And I guess it was kind of coming through my countenance. And so that's when she gave us the encouragement. Then she walks around to give us our stuff, and she just kind of takes her hand. She says, listen, God be with you. And she, mm -hmm. she grabs me, and she grabs us, and she pulls us close. Mercy. And she prays for us. She prayed for us. I mean, that's when I let it all out. I was like, oh, my word. Because I felt like, Lord, you're using her to encourage us at this point. Mm. It was so encouraging, and we needed it at that point. And I didn't realize how much we needed it until she did that. And that's when I said, thank you, Lord. I was like, babe, you know, we're going to be okay. You mm -hmm. know, it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, I don't know, I was, it, it was important to me that that happened. And then there was, a, there was a gentleman here, I think that night we were at the hotel room, because uh, that night when we went back to the hotel room, there was a young man, he was here on Sabbath. Uh, I don't know his name if any of the children remember. I mean, his mother had surgery oh. uh, years ago, and she came. Um, Westland's brother, uh, Elder, was there. No, he came after. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it, it's like, so before, forget what I just said before. The, um, when he came with the mother, this young man, they came and they said, hey, we just want to come and just pray with you. And... You know, they all came, I think, uh, the young man, the mother, and the sisters, like this the whole the family. the night before the surgery? Yeah. yeah. I mean, my mother was there to witness this, and, you know, they just came in the hotel room, and they just started giving us encouraging words. The mother gave a testimony. She says, I had my valve repaired with one of the animal tissues. She said, they said I had about at least maybe five, ten years. She said, I'm 20 years going strong. And, you know, and she was just, they just sang some songs and prayed with us. I mean, I'm like, you know, so when I saw him this weekend and he was standing, I was like, no, take my seat, young man. You know, it's like I just appreciate what he did and his family. And this was a family doing this, you know, to encourage us. And so God was showing along the way um, these things. But there was one night I think I got to a place where I was laying on the bed and, you know, my husband's there resting. And I just couldn't sleep. And um, there was an article that I read on Meat Ministries' website. I don't know why I read it. It was something I, I heard about months before, and it was written by Narlin Edwards. And he talked about the bitter cup. And I had to get to a place where I had to just, I felt like I just fell back and just said, Lord, you got this. No reservations. Um, implicit trust. No question. Even if it means my husband dies. Because the percentage rate is low, blah, 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 is chances. But you know when you're in it, that 1% or 2% chance that it could happen, even though it's low, is, is magnified in your mind. Yep. Because it's my life. You know, everyone is like, oh, Brother Lemon, it's God's will. God's will and this and that, but I'm the one that's going to have to figure out like how we're going to, you know, and it's like you're thinking like this was unexpected, you know, all I know is like six months ago, we did not have these issues, we weren't talking about it, we were just doing what we do, and now just so quickly, the 
family changed, the unit of the family, everything changed. That night, I just laid there and I cried because it was so hard for me to do that. But I said, Lord, I'm going to take in this cup, this bitter cup, and I'm going to fall in your arms. And that was really hard. And I just broke down crying because I knew what that meant. I'm not going to question whatever happens. I'm not going to question you. And um, this was a hard lesson, again, because the cultivation wasn't there. And I believe had the cultivation been there consistently, I would have been able to handle things a lot better. I will say, and I have to say this, because my son, Jared, Mm. my word, I was looking for some tissue because I know I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to keep it together. But Jared, um, all the kids have been a blessing in many ways. I mean, this was hard on all of us, but he was an example to me because Jared has his own walk with the Lord. You know, and we've been teaching our kids, you know, you got to get up every morning, have devotion, get up, say, you know, surrender to the Lord. And they sit in the meetings, they hear these things throughout the years, and application of these things, you know, was not always done, even with us, but yet we were pressing. Do you, you know, parents, sometimes we press our children to do things that sometimes we don't really do consistently. We, you know, Jared got the message at some point years before that even when we had a late start in the morning, like let's say we got up late and um, it would be like, we would have brunch instead of breakfast, I guess, because it was just a late start. And it's like 11 o'clock and I'm like, where is Jared? It's time for breakfast. The day is past. I'm knocking on his door. I'm like, boy, get up. And I'm opening the door and he got his hoodie and he's reading his Bible. This has been consistent for years. Okay, um, that young man was a soldier throughout this whole ordeal. And I look back and I could say he handled it the best out of all of us. Even when it was hard and, you know, just processing what was going on and things that were done. But the reason I, I point him out because he was consistent with his communion he was consistent, even if it meant a few minutes, even though we started off late. Because, you know, the children of Israel, they were called to go out early before the sun came up before the, to collect the manna, right? He just understood, even if I can get 10 minutes, I got to get something in. And so he cultivated that habit. So when the crisis came, I mean, Jared... It, it was an example even for me. And as his mother, I'm teaching my son this. He practices it. I'm not consistent. And I saw how the Lord was able to keep him throughout that whole ordeal. You know, the night before we were going to find out the true report of the transesophical echocardiogram and just really get an idea of what was going on, that was a pivotal day because that was going to determine if we're going to go back home or stay in California. Because if Dr. Wong said, Dwayne, this report shows worse than what we expected, we have to do mechanical. Well, if he's going to do mechanical, we're not going to go around asking the saints, hey, can you put your money towards uh, this GoFundMe to help us get a mechanical valve surgery? We can get that 
in New Hampshire, where we were already, without those expenses. We came to California for valve repair. We believe God paved the way for that. So the night before, we prayed, and Jared prayed. And when Jared prayed, he said, you brought us here for valve repair. We are not asking for replacement. We are trusting what you have led thus far. We believe you are going to repair, and we thank you for that. It was a prayer of faith. He had more faith than I did. And so when we went to see Dr. Wong, and when he told us, he said, Dwayne, you don't just have a badly bleeding mitral valve, badly regurgitating mitral valve. He said, your aortic valve is also having a bad regurgitation. In other words, the report was worse. And he said, Dwayne, we can't do repair on this. You don't understand what those words, because what it did, it's like I could almost see Satan back there just loving this. Because my issue was, are you really there? I questioned God so much at this time. Are you really real? Are you really there? Do you really love me? Do you really care? Because why would you let this happen to me? You know, I mean, I am accusing God at this stage in my life. And so for me to believe God led us, just to find out Dr. Wong was like, we can't do the repair. You don't understand how devastating that was. It wasn't devastating just because I couldn't get a repair and had to get a replacement. It was God's integrity on the line in my mind. You understand that? That's what was going on in my mind is you led us here. How could you let this happen? You understand that? So when Dr. Wong said, I cannot repair this. He said, I will not. Well, this is when he said, I, I said, okay, so I guess we'll consider the animal valve. And he said, no, we have to do mechanical valve. Mm. And he said, and I will not. And that's what he did. He did this with his arms. And he says, and I will not do anything else. I looked at my wife because I knew, I said, Alex is probably going through it hard right now. And I looked at her and she just had her head down. And I knew she was hurting. And I literally did not know what to say next. Dr. Wong is there and his wife is there. It is Alexandra and myself. And this thought out of nowhere comes to my mind. I said, Dr. Wong, it was like, Lord, what do I say? What do I say? And God put this thought in my mind. Tell him the story. I said, Dr. Wong, I said, um, can I tell you a story? He said, yes. I said, there was a man who went to London. He was a preacher in our faith. Dr. Wong was Seventh-day Adventist, by the way. I said, he's a preacher in our faith. He went to London to preach the word. He went to sleep and began to have some grunting sounds. His wife began to check on him and notice he was non-responsive. He went into cardiac arrest. His heart completely stopped. I said, Dr. Wong, he did not get oxygen to his brain for over 30 minutes. I said, Dr. Wong, what's the prognosis? He said, he's dead. Either brain dead or just officially dead dead. I said, I would agree. That man is going to be here on Monday to pray with you and to pray with me in sound mind and body. I said, God did a miracle with that man. 
My question to you, Dr. Wang, is do you believe God could use your hands and do a miracle and do that which is termed to be impossible? And Dr. Wang looked at that screen with my heart on it. And he looked down to the ground. It was so quiet in the room. And he looked at that screen, he looked down, and he said, we can repair it. He literally changed his position. Mind you, my head was down. I was praying. I said, Father, you, you have to fix this because we can't walk out of here unless he repairs this valve because everything that was put out there was because this would definitely challenge even the children's faith because, right. again, Jared was like, this is what we came here for. And so I knew, I was like, okay, it's time for you to work. His wife was actually instrumental as well because she was looking at the screen and she was like you could do it honey that's what she said he had his hands there and he was just like this and he was looking and so while Dwayne is talking about brother Jackson he just kept looking at the screen I'm praying and she's looking and she you know it's just it was deep what was going on in that room and when he said he'll repair it I was so overwhelmed after we closed out, and I'm sure you're going to go back to it, but I had to leave, and I went to the bathroom, and I just broke down again, just praising God, like, Lord, you did it. Like, I was shaking because, again, we're going through this experience, and we've been preaching and teaching and doing all these hydrotherapy courses, professing the Lord, and now we're having, like, almost like we were babes in Christ going through this. This is so solemn, this is so humbling, and this is so deep. And I told my wife as we were taking our digestion walk today, I said, honey, I said, it's a real privilege to tell the people of God this story. Mm-hmm. You know, because I just think sometimes we as God's people, we get so mesmerized by speakers, and we think they're so invincible, and just they got it all together. And it's like, nah, we really struggle. And it's like sometimes the battle, the heat, get, it gets real hot. And we come face to face with ourselves. I never had to think about death. As far as I was concerned, Pastor Alvin, I'm like, yo, I, by the grace of God, will be part of that 144,000. I mean, it's like I'm fixed in my mind. So to now see myself potentially dying, I'm like, all right, well, that's a game changer. And so now I have to reevaluate things again. And like I said, it proved I did not have an abiding trust in God. It was clear as day. God was like, Dwayne, you were teaching people to trust me when you did not trust me yourself. He said, I had to let you see this. Because God knew it was always there. Remember, crisis does not produce character. It only reveals it. And so the crisis did not make me a doubting person. God says, that spirit of doubt, that even if it's 0.1% element of lack of trust, God says that's all it takes to lose out on heaven. And so God was showing us clear as day. We left that office rejoicing. We got a call from the people. They said, listen, in order for us to get you scheduled for Monday, December 19, we need $20,000. Now, mind you, I already started the GoFundMe. Already started the GoFundMe. Needed $20,000 in two days. In two days, we had Mm $25,000. And... In other words, here's one of the key lessons that I would like to impart to you all. 
pay attention to the way God speaks. One of the great problems that many of us have is we don't understand the way God communicates. And as a result of not understanding the way God communicates, we can easily get confused. And so what happens is, volume 5 of the Testimonies, page 512, tells us there are three ways that God speaks. Through his word, through providential leadings, and through the appeals of the Holy Spirit to our heart. God was like, Dwayne, if you were listening, you would have seen I was speaking all along. Ministry Healing, page 509, it says that Christ is ever sending messages to those who listen for him. Did you hear that? Ministry Healing, 509, it says God is ever sending messages to those who are listening. And so a lot of times we're like, God, where are you? And God's like, I already told you where I'm at. You're not listening. You get that? And so we went through all of this journey where God was speaking all along. I had people call me that I didn't even expect to call me. Not, not that we're enemies or anything like that. And I'm going to name these names, actually. As I'm coming up to the thing, God is showing providence after providence. I mean, just step by step. He's just providing. He's giving things, showing signs and wonders. Next thing you know, two days before uh, I go into surgery, I get a phone call from a brother I haven't heard from in a little while. My brother, Jeremiah Davis. Jeremiah gives me a call, Brother Lemon. I was like, hey, Brother Davis, how you doing? He said, my brother, I'm just calling to let you know this is not appointed unto death. And he began to encourage me. And as he encouraged me, I said, man, listen, I can't thank you enough for this call, brother. And we prayed together. And he says, I'll see you on the other side. I said, all right. The day before my surgery, a call, I got to admit, shocked me a little bit. It was pleasant. It reminded me of many things. My brother, John Robert Kofer. Brother Kofer called me. Dr. Lemon. That's what he always calls me. Dr. Lemon. How's your courage? I said, I'm going through it, man. You see, yes, there are differences that we have in how we believe God's work will be finished. Yes, there's differences in how we understand what constitutes God's church. But I'm actually thankful that he and I can still get on the phone and still maintain a brotherhood. I actually appreciate that. Because as long as he's being led by the Spirit, as long as I'm being led by the Spirit, we will be united into all truth sooner or later. And so I got to know how to draw the line to say I disagree with a brother or he may disagree with me when it comes to certain principles of the word. But at the end of the day, that does not have to make us enemies. My brother Kofer called me and was like, listen, man, this is not appointed unto death. He began to give words of encouragement. He said, your work, Lemon, is not finished. Speaking with so much authority. And so it was just coming from every angle, even from angles that I didn't necessarily expect. And I remember that morning of that surgery, we go inside of that surgical room. We had our prayers and Brother Jackson, my mom, Alexandra, my children were all there. And I knew it was going to be the hardest part because, you know, they got to roll your husband away. They got to roll your dad away and you got to watch them roll them away with just that slight possibility that the doctor and the nurse will come out and say, we're very sorry. And so they had to watch that, and I'm going in there, and I remember going in that surgical room, and I'm watching the ladies over there washing their hands. I'm in the OR, and I'm like, I've never been in the OR in my life. You're laying on that gurney, and here it is that I'm just like, man, this is it. This is it. 
literally do or die. And so I remember that as they're getting ready to put the anesthesia in me, I said, wait, wait. And they said, what's going on? I said, I need to pray. I said, I need to pray one more time. And they said, okay, do you want us to get the surgeon? I said, yes, get the surgeon, get everybody who's going to touch me. And everybody came in the room. Later on, I understood there were Buddhists, Muslims, Seventh-day Adventist Christians, and Christians of other denominations, all in that room. And when I was there, I said, look, I got to pray, guys. And I gave what I considered to be my potentially closing prayer. And I remember that I prayed to God and I said, Lord, if this is appointed unto death, I acknowledge my sins. I ask you to wash me with the blood of Jesus afresh. And I'm asking that I will hear that trumpet sound when you burst through those clouds of glory. I said, but if it is not unto death, I am asking you to anoint the hands of every individual in this room. That everything will be done with excellence. Bless them, bless their families. Da, da, da. And I just start praying for them. And then I said, in Jesus, and then here was my closing statement because I was reading volume two, uh, page 200 to 215, the cost of the cross, the sufferings of Christ. And I said the very words that Jesus said as he was getting ready to go on the cross. I said, Father, I said, I fall into your hands. I fall into your hands. That's what Jesus did. Couldn't see beyond the cross, couldn't see beyond the grave. And he just said, Father, I fall into your arms. And I said, I fall into your arms. Said amen. And I had a peace. And I said, all right, guys, let's do this. And I watched that anesthesia go in my arm and I was like, all right. I said, is that it? And I looked up at the anesthesiologist. He was like, yep, that's it. And I was like, okay. And I was just down. I mean, that stuff works quick. Next thing you know, I hear music. My wife's voice can sound like music at times to me. And I heard a voice in my ear saying, I love you. I love you. And then she says, honey, they repaired both valves. They had an artificial valve as a backup. She said they repaired both of them. They said that normally when a heart surgeon does the surgery, after they repair the valve, they'll probably wait about 15 minutes and observe the heart, and then they'll close the person up. They said Dr. Wang waited an hour. He just watched my heart. Of the thousands and thousands and thousands of people that he's done surgery on, he said he's only lost one patient. And he said that he wanted to make sure. He said, I am nervous because I have God's ministers on my hand. That's what he said. He said, I'm nervous. I have God's minister. I can't mess up. Oh, bless his heart, man. He is such a wonderful man. Not just what he did. He's just, just the heart. I saw his heart through all of this thing. He was really in this with us. And we made it through the surgery. The wonderful counsels from my brothers and sisters from Mentone, where they said, Brother Lemon, start walking. You'll get out the hospital faster. You got to walk. And so when they're like, all right, and I got tubes coming out of me and all this stuff, I mean, you know, it's just, had to walk. We got out of there. And I'd love to say that my anxiety just disappeared and everything, but it continued. It continued. The devil is relentless. 
But what got us to the place where now that anxiety has become a thing of the past? What has got us to the place that the depression is no longer existing? What has got us to the place that we are resolved as a family, by God's grace, to go higher and still higher in Jesus. And I assure you, the Lemon household is still very much under attack. In fact, we're more under attack. When I saw my brother Don McIntosh, went by his church shortly before I left California to go home for the rest of my healing, Brother Don pulled me aside. He said, Brother Lemon, he said, hear me good. And he gave me a Hebrew word, and I couldn't remember what the Hebrew word was. But he stated that Hebrew word to me, and he said, Brother Lemon, he says, listen, he said, the fact that God has brought you through this and all these experiences, he said, God is getting ready to use you double than what he has used you before. He said, I need to pray for you, brother. And I said, Pastor McIntosh, I'd appreciate that, man. And we held each other and we prayed together. And what I'm telling you, family, is that God has brought us through an amazing journey. I mean, there's so much to this story. But I want to share with you in these closing moments just what were some of the final keys what were some of the keys that really helped us to really get to a place that we could be restored in the Lord, that we could be back? And like I told you last night, it's a beautiful thing to have a sound mind. Once you lose it, you cherish it when you get it back. You really do. I remember when I constantly looked at grave sites with fear and terror. And I remember one time, it was almost like a light switch. You know, it's just one day we drove past a gravesite and I looked at it. And normally where I looked at it and, you know, all these thoughts and everything, I was able to look at that gravesite, and I was just like, hmm. I wonder how many people are there that will be ready for the first resurrection. Lord, help me to be one when my day comes. It was like all of a sudden I could look at things with proper perspective again. And it felt so good to be able to do that. What were some of the lessons that we learned? One of the first lessons God taught me was, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. Not just believe that he's a rewarder, but we must believe that he is. He is what? What he said he is. He said, I am love. So why do you question God loving you? You understand that? You know how it is to go through a crisis and one of the first things we question is, do you really love me? God had to teach me, Dwayne, you didn't trust me before. Now I want you to start training your mind to really trust me. We had to go back into the lab. We had to start all over again. Like my wife said, we had to start all over again and really ask ourselves, do we really have faith? And so we started to cultivate faith. Jude and verse 20 says, build up your most holy faith. And so we had to start building up our faith. And for clarity on what faith is, don't ever forget that story. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. Now, that's not just faith. That is what Jesus called great faith. We must learn that faith is trusting the word of God only to do what the word said it's going to do regardless of how you feel, regardless of what your atmosphere is dictating to you. Trust the word of God only to believe that that word is going to do what it said it's going to do. And what I've realized, a lot of us don't do that because a lot of times I can go to certain pastors and say, do you stand for certain truths? You believe the present truth? Yeah, I believe the present truth. Okay, will you stand for these things? 
No, I can't do that. Why not? What's going to happen to my job? What's going to happen to my security? What's going to happen to this? Trust the word of God only. Did not God say I'll supply all your needs? In other words, it's very easy for us to say, I trust God until your crisis comes. And just because you pass one crisis does not mean that by default you're ready for every other crisis. And so we learned, put your trust in God. That was a major lesson. Alexandra, Jared, Caleb, Kayla, Jada, and Dwayne Lemon, we all had to go back into the lab and learn what is faith all over again as a Lemon household. We also had to start focusing more and more on the love of God. Start being intentional on studying his love. I'm not neglecting studying Revelation 17, Revelation 18, and Daniel 11, and Daniel 12. Lots of books being written about it. A lot of people talking about the Holy Spirit, but the first fruit of that spirit is love. My hope and prayer is that you know more about God's love than just the mere individuality and personality of God's spirit. You understand that? God wants us to know who he is, to understand his love. In fact, it says right here, Review and Herald, November 22nd, 1892. The theme that attracts the heart of the sinner is Christ and him crucified. On the cross of Calvary, Jesus stands revealed to the world in unparalleled love. Present him thus to the hungry multitudes and the light of his love will win men from darkness to light, from transgression to obedience and true holiness. Beholding Jesus upon the cross of Calvary arouses the conscience to the heinous character of sin as nothing else can do. You know that includes the Sunday law? I hope you got that. Even the Sunday law crisis ended all alone does not reveal the heinous character of sin like when we present Christ and him crucified. And so that's a message for all the end time preachers is, yes, we've got to talk about the agitations of the Sunday law. That's not our issue. Yes, we're supposed to teach it, but we need to make sure that we're teaching it in the context of showing people Christ and him crucified being the solution to the final crisis. You can't just tell people to get ready. If you tell me get ready and don't show me how I'm going to do what's natural to me to get ready. So you got to explain how to get ready and you got to know how to hide yourself in him. Notice Christ crucified. Talk it. Pray it, sing it, and it will break and win hearts. Set formal, oh, listen to this. Set formal phrases, the presentation of merely what? How much time are we spending on argumentative subjects? How many books are being produced right now on argumentative subjects? That's not going to finish the work. Listen, it says set Formal phrases, the presentation of merely argumentative subjects is productive of little good. It says the melting love of God in the hearts of the workers will be recognized by those for whom they labor. Souls are thirsting for the water of life. Do not allow them to go from you empty. Reveal the love of Christ to them. Lead them to Jesus and he will give them the bread of life and the water of salvation. Review and Herald, June 2nd, 1903. God wants us to understand. God brought us back. Dwayne, Alexandra, Jared, Kayla, Caleb, Jada, spend more time meditating, studying, singing, talking, praying about my love. Focus on it. And see that in the context of the final crisis. And that's how you'll stay balanced.
rather than unbalanced, unsanctified, and overzealous. And so this was another lesson we learned, is focus on the love of God. You know another thing we learned? Pay attention to everything you know to be right when it comes to those laws of health. Take it seriously. Please do not treat it like it's some a la carte option. Oh, I'll have a little bit of that. I'll have a whole lot of this. Don't gloat because you got a great diet, but you don't exercise. Get it all in. Because we're trying to actually teach people in the world to keep all the law of God. I think we should be consistent. The last lesson that I'll share with you that we learned. Psalms 84. In Psalms, the 84th division, I want to show you something here that I believe will prove very helpful to us. Psalms, the 84th division. You know, God wants us to be like him. Is that right? These are all lessons that God taught us. I'm serious. The Lemon household is going on on what we call, we're going under an extreme makeover right now. Serious. We really are. And uh, I'm grateful for it. In Psalms 84, I want you to see something. The Bible says in verse 11 and 12, it says, For the Lord God is what? A son and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusts in thee. Do you know verse 12 helps us see a very powerful reason? Verse 12 says, blessed is the man that does what? That trusts in him. Do you know verse 11 shows us one of the key reasons why God can be trusted? Do any of you see it? Because he's a son and shield. What about him being a son and shield should increase our trust? I want, I want, to, I want you to think through the text. Verse 12 is a fruit of verse 11. Blessed is the man who trusts in God, no doubt. But verse 11 shows us why we can trust him. It says the Lord our God is a what? What's the first thing it says the Lord our God is? A son. Can I, can I, can I introduce one thought to you about the son? It might blow your mind. You ready for this? You know one thing I learned about the son? It's consistent. It rises and it goes down every day. It's always consistent. Sunrise, sunset. Sunrise, sunset. Sunrise, sunset. Consistent. You know the kind of people you can trust? People that are consistent. The more consistent we are, is the more trustworthy we become. And one of the great things about God is he's consistent. And one of the great lessons that God has shown us is how important it is, Dwayne and Alexandra, to be consistent. Be consistent with your homeschooling. Be consistent with your morning and your evening worship. Be consistent when it comes to that midday prayer time. Be consistent with your diet. Be consistent with getting your proper rest. Be consistent in studying to show yourself approved. Be consistent that if you say you love your wife, you make sure you show it. Be consistent that if you say you love your husband, make sure you show it. 
Be consistent that if you say you love your children, do not provoke them to wrath by withholding it. God says be consistent. If you're going to preach the Bible and the spirit of prophecy as authoritative teaching, then live by the principles that it teaches. Don't play favorites. Don't love to talk about prayer, but you don't study. Don't talk so much about studying, but you don't spend time in prayer. Don't talk about the dangers of music reform, but you won't talk about dress reform. Be consistent. If there is one thing that the world cannot stand about Christianity in all of its forms, including Seventh-day Adventism, behold an inconsistent group of people. And so what God was showing Alexandra and I is we must be consistent if nobody else will. My brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you in these few moments here, sometimes we show forth our inconsistency and it damages our witness. Sometimes we actually put it up on Facebook. I'd like to encourage you, please think before you put up a picture. I'm really serious about that. We're trying to give a harmonious message. Be consistent with what you cheer and what you represent. There's some Seventh-day Adventists that are in politics, and they are showing themselves not consistent. We are not to get caught up into politics. We are not to get caught up into all the political battles because we know the political world cannot solve the problems of this world. Why would we even waste our time in that? We have Seventh-day Adventists that will go ahead and celebrate competitive sports when we clearly have the word of God that tells us that we should not be involving ourselves in those things. We're not being consistent. And we can just go down the list and the list and the list. And you know what's synonymous to being consistent? Abiding. You remember? Abiding in Christ means a living, earnest, refreshing faith that works by love and purifies the soul. It means a what? Constant receiving of the spirit of Christ. A life of unreserved surrender to his service. Where this union exists, good works will appear. The life of the vine will manifest itself in fragrant fruit on the branches. The continual supply of the grace of Christ will bless you and make you a blessing till you can say with Paul, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. It says the sacred union with Christ will unite the brethren in the most endearing bonds of Christian fellowship. Their hearts will be touched with divine compassion one for another. Coldness, variance, and strife are entirely out of place among the disciples of Christ. They have accepted the one faith. They have joined to serve the one Lord, to endure in the same warfare, to strive for the same object, and to triumph in the same cause. They have been bought with the same precious blood and have gone forth to preach the same message of salvation. That's consistency. It's the same thing. It says, those who are constantly drawing strength from Christ, will possess his spirit. It's a guarantee. Finally, those who are constantly drawing strength from Christ will possess his spirit. They will not be careless in word or deportment in abiding sense and abiding sense of how much their salvation has cost in the sacrifice of the beloved son of God will rest upon their souls. 
Like a fresh and vivid transaction, the scenes of Calvary will present themselves to their minds and their hearts will be subdued and made tender by this wonderful manifestation of the love of Christ to them. They will look upon others as the purchase of his precious blood and those who are united with him will seem noble and elevated and sacred because of this connection. The death of Christ on Calvary should lead us to estimate souls as he did. His love has magnified the value of every man, woman, and child. That I may know him, page 132, paragraphs 1 to 4. The greatest lesson that God has taught Alexandra and I is every problem that you face came as a result of allowing your abiding to be broken. Isn't that deep? That's what this whole testimony was. I mean, like, for real, I told my wife, I said, that is pretty deep how God put this together because we didn't even recognize this. Our whole testimony between last night and today was all as a result of abiding being broken and God calling us back to it. You understand that? Be consistent. That's what it means to abide. Stay there. Don't just visit it and then come out of it. Visit it. Make your home there. Stay in it. Abide in him. Constant. Continual, consistent. The question is very simple. In your pastoral ministry, in your gospel, medical, missionary, evangelistic ministry, in your self-supporting ministry, in whatever your home ministry, your personal life, whatever it may be, if you can honestly say, I see clearly, not foggy, clearly. Now, listen to my appeal very carefully. Because my hope and prayer is that we don't have to have a thousand other SWYCs or, or all these other things. It's like, I wish we could have the boldness of the pioneers and say, let's finish this work. Just not, not, not with an, a misunderstanding. We know they misunderstood scripture. But we have been told, I think one of the most startling texts of scripture to me is the fact that we can hurry up and hasten the coming of the Lord. Ask yourself, what are we doing to hurry up the coming of the Lord? Pay attention to your fruit. What have we done thus far that we can clearly see it has caused the movements to go faster? If we're seeing the same faces and seeing the same heads and a lot of the same stuff is going on and we're not even one step closer to the second coming, then that's the clearest statement in the world. It's time to change some things up. Pay attention to your fruit. That's what gardeners do. We pay attention to fruit. Family. If you are clear, I'm not talking about foggy. I'm talking about you're clear. If you can scan your life right now and you can say, I can identify at least one, if not more things in my life, in my ministry or whatever, where I am flat out inconsistent. And you can see, I've got to put all my energy into this to get out of this state. I don't want you to find out something terrible that shakes your whole foundation like mine got shook and like ours got shook. But you gotta get to a place that it's no more business as usual. That's the thing. We're ready to do dynamic stuff for God. We're, now, I'm not talking about dynamic like preaching, teaching. We're talking about, Lord, what's the next degree of surrender that you're bringing us to that's gonna probably cost us a lot? 
Because I can guarantee you, if you keep doing the same thing, you're going to get the same results. So if you know that you're inconsistent, if you can see the area in your life that you are inconsistent and you are ready under the power of God's spirit to go to war against self, whatever it takes. It's funny, my wife and I laugh about it now, but it's a very solemn laugh. Shortly before 2016, there's one thing I said and then one thing we said. I told my wife in the very, very early stage of 2016, I said, honey, I said, I don't know what it is, but I feel like with all that we've done, I feel like God has not scratched the surface of what he wants to do with us. That's what I told her. And then here's the thing we both said. And this is why I mean when I say you got to get ready. We both covenanted. We talked and we thought about our home. We thought about our situation. And we said, Lord, do whatever it takes that we might be saved. And that we might be made what you have called us to be. And I used to say to my family all the time, we dare to be one well-ordered, one well-disciplined family, even if nobody else chooses to be so. And it's amazing because once we made that, it was like Satan must have seen something where he said, demons, they're serious. We got to get to work. And boy, did they get to work. What I'm saying to you is when you decide to say, Lord, I am prepared to do radical activity to get out of this state of complacency that I'm in right now, to break out of my inconsistency, to do what others would dare to do, for your name's honor and glory, to lose everything that thy will and thy will alone may be done. When you get to that place of surrender, you better believe it. You're going to see Satan unleash himself like he's never done it before. And that's when you're going to need to claim John 16, 33. Be of good cheer. I've already overcome him. And you can overcome him as I overcame. And so you got to be brutally honest with yourself right now. If you know it's not foggy, you're clear, there are things in your life that you are professing that you are inconsistent. And you are saying, Lord, by your grace, I am ready to go to war even with myself. That we can break out of this inconsistency and experience true surrender. Do whatever it takes to save us. If you're at that place, I want to invite you to stand to your feet. And as you stand, Christ is going to stand with you. You don't have to be afraid, but you need to be serious. Don't be lax. If you're taking life as a joke, stop taking it as a joke. If you think you're taking, if you're taking God's church as a joke, please stop taking God's church and his truth as a joke. We have to understand we're going to have to lose that we might gain. If you've been playing favorites with anybody to try to just maintain your position as a pastor or whatever, you cannot be saved like that. You're going to have to sooner or later rub against the grain. Not to try to start trouble. You're simply going to have to stand when others won't stand. As a gospel worker, if you know you've been rough and you know you've been judgmental and condemning your brothers, you're going to have to go back. Even if you've been blasting folks on YouTube or whatever, or whatever it may be, you got to get to a point that you realize I was wrong. I need to confess my sin and make make things right with my brothers and sisters. If you're living in fornication, disrespecting your wife, dishonoring your husband, neglecting your children, 
misrepresenting Christ by the way you look or the way you dress or the way you act or whatever it is. Whatever that thing is, write it down, family. Be determined when you leave this place, when you get off this mountain, by God's grace. Help me, Lord, to abide, to be consistent. I'm not going to gloat on what I did good for a month or for a week. It has to be every day. Every day. Don't pat yourself on the back because you did good for a week or good for a month or had a good conference. Always ask yourself, Lord, how can we go higher? How can we go higher? And I trust God will bless you. Father in heaven, we thank you that all along you were there. You were guiding us. You were preparing us. And Lord, it's evident that you're not finished with us yet. Lord, some very deep covenants are being made right now. We're not making a covenant on what we're not clear on. We're making a covenant on exactly what we're clear on. And Lord, help us to remember we really can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We don't have to maintain an inconsistent life. Teach us, dear God, that if we constantly remain connected to you, receiving more of the spirit of your son, receiving more of his grace, receiving more of his love every day, we will have those good works. All the things you've called us to do from the smallest to the greatest of instructions will be followed. And we will not look to ourselves and gloat upon what has been done. For it was Christ in us, the hope of glory. Thank you, Father, for showing us the importance of abiding in Jesus. And I pray, let this be our experience from this day forward. Bless your people, O oh God. Continue to work on us as the Lemon family. Continue, Father, to let any and everything that needs to take place keep purging until you see the fruit that you desire to see. Let it not just be our prayer, but let it be everyone's prayer in this room. Purge us. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.